0: It's Tuesday, December 27th, and we're taking things one day at a time here on the Outside the Oval podcast, the newest running experience on the internet. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube, as well as on Instagram and Twitter at Outside the Oval. Any questions you may have may be directed to my email, Outside the Oval at gmail.com. But today I've got another great show for you all. And to kick things off for the first time this offseason, I will be touching on the upcoming NCAA indoor season, as well as some other news around the college scene. And throughout the next couple of weeks, I will be highlighting some of my favorite distance runners in each event, as well as a few races to keep an eye on as the indoor season quickly approaches. But today I will be touching on the little bit of the action we have already seen this season, provide my take from the very small sampling size and kind of push myself, uh, introduce kind of what we're doing here and uh, set the stage for the next two weeks. Because these next two weeks, Got a lot of great guests lined up to talk about some very exciting college sports news uh, about track and field and college cross country. Uh, but I would also like to take this time to wish everybody listening a very Merry Christmas. I hope you all enjoyed your holiday weekend. And to wrap up the first segment today, for those of you who have not heard the story of Subco and Steve Ovette, We'll be treated to one of my favorite stories in track and field, which just so happened to take place on Christmas Day a little more than 40 years ago. And then afterwards, I'll be joined by Northern Arizona's Aiden Puffer, who quietly had one of the best high school careers of all time. The Manchester high school grad was a two-time footlocker finalist, a 408 miler and a 1424 runner in the 5k and the accolades they could really just continue going on. In my interview with Aiden, though, we dive into his high school career while taking a look inside his college recruitment and aspirations as an NCAA athlete. And as always, I'm never going to keep you waiting. Let's jump right into our early indoor season preview. And as we do begin to take a look at the distance side of things entering the NCAA indoor season, there are a few things to take note of. And we have to start with the first meet of the year that took place in Boston at the Boston opener on December 3rd. This was a very exciting 5K men's race. Uh it was paced very well by Christian Noble of New Balance, formerly of Lee University in Division Two. He paced a he was up in the lead pack for about I'd say two K from two K to kind of three K. He was doing a lot of the pacing. But after that, that's when the racing really started with 10 laps to go. Drew Bosley made a powerful move. He looked very assertive throughout the race to NAU product. Kai Robinson, he looked very calm throughout the race as well. Alex Mayer, he looked very strong at times and even looked like he could win the race, but he did not put himself in the best position. Most of the time we were watching him. Uh, and then Nico Young for the first time, I think in his college career, other than maybe his first cross country season, he looked truly vulnerable, uh, With that being said, not too much to worry about with him coming off a very good cross country season, a long one, in fact, as well. Uh, Elsewhere, though, on the men's side, Brian Fay from Washington, Casey Klinger from BYU and Parker Wolf from North Carolina all went sub 1320 on their way to a very good day, which really put the college men's uh, race on a whole new level. The title for the YouTube uh, race was the most loaded 5K field in college history. I would... I would agree with that. I think that was a very good representation of how this race went, kind of what we were looking at throughout the day. Uh, But to pivot elsewhere, Charles Hicks, he won the European U23 cross-country championships. And then Dylan Jacobs quickly after that announced that he has a date with Nico Young in the Milrose Games 3K, which consists of some of the best runners in the sport. Uh, Jordy Beamish from team on, he was your 2022 champion Cooper tier from Bowerman track club, Joshua Kerr from Brooks, Joe Klecker, Morgan McDonald, all from on as well as Allen hacker who ran for Wisconsin last year and recently joined, uh, Hoka. So we have a very competitive team, uh, excuse me, field of runners in that, uh, race looking forward to the Milrose games, 3k as always. But on the men's side, the title picture in the 3K and 5K seems to be pretty similar to what we saw this fall cross country season. The same guys competing for the championship in the fall seem to be the front runners to take home a 3K or 5K championship in the indoor championships. Hicks from Stanford, Young, Bosley, Mayer, Jacobs, uh, they're, they're all guys you expect to come out of the winter primed and ready to go and really take this winter indoor track season by the neck. I uh, really do think that these group of guys will be the core five that we talk about throughout most of the season. But if we transition and take a look at the women's side of things, Caitlin Tui was your top finisher at the Boston opener in the 5K, but she was quickly followed by Hoda Olamoy. Uh, and Mercy Chalangot from Alabama, who both figure to be a little bit more competitive challengers to the two-time national champion on the outdoor and indoor oval. Elsewhere, though, the big story is coming out of Gainesville, Florida this weekend, where as of recording this on Monday, December 26th, Chris Zielinski is expected to leave the University of Florida for Eugene to become an assistant coach for the Oregon Ducks with Jerry Shoemaker. Selinski is, of course, Parker Valby's distance coach, which could certainly change some things for the All-American moving forward. Uh, Valby is going to be faced with a very difficult decision, and that's going to be whether or not to stay in Gainesville, where she has found all of her success in her running career up to this point, or transfer to track town and continue to train under Coach Selinski. And from my perspective, I would not be surprised to see Valby stay in Gainesville. Coach Selinski, among The best uh, American distance runners of all time has not exactly accomplished what many other coaches across the NCAA have. And in this case, Valby, uh, she has to make a quick decision either to stay where she's been for the past two and a half years, have found a lot of success, or transfer to Oregon, uh, one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious, track and field programs in the nation, for the sole purpose of following her coach, who has achieved less as a coach than Valby has as an athlete. So with that being said, with Valby saying to herself, she's more comfortable in Florida than she's ever been elsewhere. She enjoys the weather. She enjoys the training in Florida. And I'm sure she has her own set of friends, which would be difficult to leave. And to put it simple, it's difficult to move your entire life in the middle of competing for a championship nonetheless from Gainesville, to Florida or Gainesville, Florida to Eugene, Oregon in just two weeks, uh, which is about how long it would appear Valby has to make a decision. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think Solinsky's decision to move to Eugene is a great one for his career. Uh, to learn under Jerry Schumacher uh, while training both top-tier NCAA and professional athletes as a part of Bowerman Track Club, which is a rumored aspect of the deal that Schumacher is signing Solinsky for, uh, to do this in the running mecca of the nation presents him with a plethora of opportunities moving forward and really opens the door for him to become a hot commodity as a director of a track and field program in a few years. I uh, could definitely see him rising the ranks as a distance uh, prodigy, kind of a one of the next greatest uh, distance coaches. It's kind of going to be what he's going to try to set himself up to be at Oregon. And I do think he'll land a pretty uh, high-profile distance job once his time at Oregon is over. But leaving Parker Valby, who looks as if she's on a path to stardom, it doesn't really make the most sense to me. She's coming off the best season any distance runner has had in a long time on the women's side, with very little experience and familiarity with the sport, which is why I also believe that it's inevitable that Valby will ditch Florida for Oregon. I don't think Slinsky is in a position in his career. And to be fair, I would say that at about 99% uh, I would say that about 99% of the coaches in the NCAA, nobody is in position to cut ties with a runner, a generational runner like Parker Valby, uh, who, like I said, is, is, is slowly becoming one of the greatest American dis- distance runners on the women's side in a very long time. Uh, so I do think Valby, whether that's before the winter, indoor season, spring track season, or over the summer, uh, I do think she'll jump ship joints coach Zelensky and Eugene. And I, I, I would imagine this takes place in, in the summer. I think she'll finish out her track season a part of the uh, the Gators in Gainesville. They have a chance to win a team title. I think coach Holloman is going to do what he has to do to make sure she stays, but we'll grant her wish of following coach Zelensky over the summer as that's just a better opportunity for her to further excel her cross country uh, kind of acumen to this point. But with that being said, Perker Valby remains and will remain the biggest name to watch for throughout the next six months in our sport. Going to be exciting to see if she ever hops in the transfer portal, which would make for uh, some of the biggest news we've seen in this sport in a very long time. And that's what's going on in the NCAA track world at the moment. Over the next two weeks, I will be really be opening up the show, breaking down the indoor season even more. And I have a few guests, like I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, lined up to help me do that. And I'm looking forward to the first two episodes of the new year to really get down, dig into the NCAA indoor track season. Should be a good one. Should be a good one on both men's and women's sides for all the distance races. I think the women's DMR is going to be interesting this year. I think the men's 3K. We really don't know who's going to dip down to 3K in the 1500 this year. Uh, Just a lot of possibilities all across the board. But moving forward in today's show, something I've always wanted to do during the show is feature a post made by an anonymous poster on Let's Run. And this is an idea while fabricated by the other posters in the thread on the site, I actually agree with this kind of post uh, to an extent the post, though, is titled, Track and Field Should Make Up Storylines. And the caption below it goes, If the track and field world needs more views, it should create WWE-style rivalries and storylines. Press conferences with smack talk, real or staged, the creating of rivalries would be interesting and the public would never have to know. And uh, now the comments following the storage of Outlandish topic, they're always f- fun to dive into. One poster suggested that the fan made rivalry between Tui and Valby was just scratching the surface as to what could become of this. And now, in my opinion, I certainly don't think track and field needs to go full on WWE. Uh, Let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, We don't need to be hiding anything from anyone. We should not be a scripted sport by any means. But I I am a fan of pro wrestling. I used to be really into that, but uh, I still think that's something we could Check into I am a big John Moxley fan. I like what Sammy Zane's got going on, but getting back on track. I do think the original poster of this thread is certainly not wrong on a few different things. For one, the press conferences before the cross country national championships this year with they are fantastic. Uh, Charles Hicks, Nico Young and Alex Mayer. They are perfect selections for the men's side. I remember getting a text from my friend after some of the things that Charles Hicks and Alex Mayer kind of went back and forth about, just kind of sharing their experiences. My friend Jack, who was my teammate this past fall, he was talking to me about it and he was like, this is really good for the sport. It was cool to kind of hear their experiences and kind of hear their personalities because that's something that runners don't get the opportunity to do. That's kind of why I started this podcast. I do want to not only grow my own brand, but help others kind of branch out, build their own brand moving forward. And then that happened on the girl's side too. Caitlin Toohey and Parker Valby created great commentary for their upcoming women's championship race the next day. And the coaches panel was interesting too. Uh, I think you had uh, coach Smith from Oklahoma state and NAU were there. Um, I believe and state, they had their coach there. Yeah, she was there. And then one of the other men's team might be Coach stone from BYU. Uh, regardless, though, so that coach's panel was fantastic. Really had a lot of good content in there. However, think of it this way. What if we had this for every race? Imagine a big race like Nutty had a pre-race and post-race press conference. The amount of attention in the running cross-country distance world um, for a meet like Nutty Comb is already through the roof. And... Moving forward, a press conference for something like that could certainly push the ratings, push the sport forward in a positive di- direction. A service provider such as ESPN would be inclined to pick up the meat uh, sur- solely because of how enticing these pre and post race press conferences would become. And if we're <laughs> broadcasting Nuttycomb on channel 206 on DirecTV or 209 on the ESPN Plus app, I think we're doing a lot of great things. And a meet like Nuttycomb, it's time. No offense to what they do at Flow Track, think they do a great job, but this sport is not going to move forward by our own. And in fact, or in, in comparison, we have to get the sport in the hands of people like ESPN, CBS. People who are going to push this meat forward. Uh, I think they'd be inclined to pick up the meat. Because of how enticing these storylines can become, and organically, this would allow runners to build their own brand, distinguish their own voice, and these are two things that have not come easy to distance runners in the past. I mean, you think about it. Really, the only brands I can think of, I think uh, Craig Ingalls has done a great job after he left Old Miss and ran for Nike. I think Edmund Sumner's. Uh, I think he. Uh, I think he does a great job. Smolders, Edmund Smolders, excuse me. Uh, He does a great job of what he does, kind of broadcasting and pushing sport forward. Uh, And then you also have the on guys on cloud. I think the men's and women's team do a great job of uh, marketing themselves in a way. But this is something that nobody's been able to do at the college level. And I think this is something they should definitely look into it. But let's put it this way. Let's let's create set the scene, set an example here. Imagine the post-race press conferences this year as a cross-country national meet. Coming off a tie, tensions between NAU and Oklahoma State's runners, they were unusually high for how tempers are typically controlled in our sport. Um, and this could really produce some interesting content, I think, uh, and certainly make the sport a more mainstream sport, which is something we all know would be very beneficial. For running. And this is not the only way you make the sport entertaining, but it's most certainly a great start, a great way to continue growing off the momentum our sport currently has. I think we're seeing the sport reach eyes it's never reached before. ESPN has done a great job. Um, Citus Mag is really leading the way there. And I'm not sitting here supporting a scripted running season in the fall or spring. Absolutely not. Uh, I don't want to take away what we're currently doing on the performance side of things, but I do believe that the sport needs more media. We need more storylines being created by the media and the press conferences to truly help legitimize what we're doing would be fantastic. And this is just one way we could continue growing our sport. And But for one more time, we're going to pivot today's episode a little bit in the spirit of the Christmas season. And I would like to tell a story from Christmas Day in 1979 between two of the best middle distance runners of all time. And to give you a little background of the story, Steve Ovette and Seb Coe were the two best middle distance runners in the world at the time. In preparation for their duels in the 800 meters and 1500 meters during the Moscow Olympics in 1980, Seb Coe, he went out for a hard 12-mile run on Christmas morning before lunch. Coe, he described the the weather as a harsh winter and that the winter was harsh enough to bring down the government, which is now probably one of my favorite metaphors I've ever heard when I read that exact quote just a few days ago. Feeling happy with what he had accomplished in the morning, though, uh, Co suddenly felt uneasy after shortly following his Christmas Day lunch. And then it dawned on him. Co thought, I bet Steve Yvette is out there doing his second training session of the day. So in response, Co put the kit back on faced the snow and ice and did a second training session running several mile, miles that day, including some hill work. Many years later over Christmas in Melbourne, Seb shared the story with Steve Ovette during supper. And after Co. explained the story to Steve Ovette, Ovette would go on and say, did you only go out twice that day? And in the 1980 Olympics, Sebco would go on to win the 1,500-meter title while Steve Ovette would win the 800-meter championship. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the greatest Christmas Day story one could ask for. Two incredible middle-distance runners finding every way possible to give themselves the slightest advantage. And even on Christmas Day, seemingly the most forgiving day of the year, the two are always on each other's minds. And they're a perfect example of a positive work ethic. Really determined grit, which are two traits that truly took these two athletes to unbelievable places. Such a great story. It's really nice seeing how uh, how much further this story is kind of being shared. Saw a lot of people on Strava mention it. Saw Roy Leonard tweet it. Coach McRaven at Texas A and M. He he posts on Instagram and Twitter every Christmas year. Something I always look forward to. It's Mo- Coach McRaven's post. Always nice seeing who interacts with that. Uh, but with that, that's all I got for you guys today. Coming up next, I will be joined by the two-time footlocker finalist, five-time Connecticut state champion, Aiden Puffer of Northern Arizona. And I'll be right back after this break on Outside the Oval. Joining the show today is NAU's very own Aiden Puffer. Aiden, thank you for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I remember hearing your name for the first time during my senior year of high school. I believe it was the first year you qualified for Foot Locker. And this year, both you and Gavin Sherry represented the state of Connecticut as sophomores. And you both had pretty solid showings in San Diego that year and really moved your two careers forward in a great direction. However, you were making a name for yourself far before you were racing at Balboa Park in San Diego, competing for the Foot Locker National Championships as an eleven year old you set a world record in the five k going seventeen o six in Massachusetts so my first question to you is a simple one: How did you first get into running and how were you able to find so much success early on in your running career?
1: um yeah so I think I first started running when I was ten and I would just uh like my dad was like kind of doing like the couch to five k and um I would just like go on runs with him and then like uh, like, we usually did this, um, like, this family-owned, like, community race, like, every year. But I would just do, like, the kids race, and, like, one year, like, my dad asked if I wanted to do the 5K, and I was like, yeah, and ended up running, like, 24 minutes, which was, like, pretty good for the time, I guess, and uh, I just, like, kept running, I guess, after that, and fell in love with it, and then uh, joined club sports, and, um, like, just went on to high school
0: after that, so. Yeah, all seemed to work out really well for you. And you went on to achieve some pretty spectacular things uh, from five state championships, a 408 mile, 846, 3200, and two trips to San Diego. You accomplished several things very few high schoolers ever get to accomplish at the high school level. So what would you say was your favorite memory from your entire high school career? And you, could you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Um, I think... Um, I don't know, looking back at it like I'd say like the Foot Locker races were always like really fun. Um, just because of like the whole experience behind that and just like meeting all the people um, that I'd be like racing with and just like building community around that. And then also I think um, just like having fun with like the four x eight team for like my high school team like i was on a team with mostly just like sophomores and well like freshmen from when i was a junior to sophomores when i was a senior and like it was just fun like teaching them about like what i knew and watching them grow like rapidly so
0: yeah and as i mentioned in high school you and gavin sherry both popped onto the scene at the same time uh like you mentioned you got the grow that community of runners, that community of friends through those big meets like Foot foot Locker. And now the two of you both attend two of the most prolific distance schools in the country at the moment, Stanford and NAU. What would you say your relationship is like with Gavin Sherry and how did that friendship kind of first begin?
1: Yeah, so uh, we first raced in like, I think it was eighth grade or seventh grade. And it was like the, the middle school state championship for Connecticut for cross country. And, like, um, I, I was kind of – I was doing, like, club stuff before. And, like, the Connecticut Middle School state championships was kind of, like, its own thing. Um, so, like, I had never, like, really heard about the Sherry's before then. And, like, um, like, I just, like, won all these, like, club, like, championships and, like, nationals and stuff. And then, like, I go to state, like, in – middle school and like he beats me and like I'm like oh man. So and then like after that it was just like um I mean obviously like a rival rivalry all throughout high school. And uh mm-hmm. yeah like we've we've been like um like we train together sometimes like in the summer like when the season ends and like I'm looking forward to training like this winter break with them as well. I just haven't gotten the chance yet because been pretty busy. But
0: yeah, that's that's pretty cool how you guys did meet through that, and it's pretty funny to hear that the the middle school state meet is more competitive than the, some of those club races that you mentioned. Yeah, uh, pretty cool just to see how the atmosphere or culture of running is so different in so many different states. But moving forward just a little bit, this is always one of my favorite questions to ask people when they come on the show considering all that you achieved throughout your high school career I'm sure you had a good amount of programs hoping to recruit you to their program so what was your recruiting process like who were some of your finalists and ultimately why did you choose to attend northern Arizona this fall
1: yeah so honestly like at the beginning of high school like I wasn't paying too much about um, like the NCAA teams but um like I don't know I think if you were to ask me like I knew like naU's like, at the top, and, like, if you were to ask me, say, like, my sophomore, freshman year of high school, like, I'd say, like, I don't know, like, probably, like, NAU would be my top school, which is, like, really cool, because mm-hmm. that's where I am now, but, um, yeah, so, um, Cornfield just, like, contacted me, like, the summer going into junior year, and, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, he's just had some, like, really good phone calls with me, and, uh, like, I don't know, they just, like, gave me goosebumps, honestly. So, like, I, I always knew, like, NAU would be, like, the best option. Like, when I went out on the visit, like, um like, I, I felt, like, really at home there. And, like, I, I felt like I trusted the team a lot and the coaches a lot, so –
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's super important that you do find that sense of community with a coach, with a pair of teammates, whatever it is. And while doing research for this segment, I actually came across an article written prior to your senior year of high school that said throughout your high school career you faced a lot of adversity. Like many, you you were forced to deal with the COVID nineteen pandemic. But not only that, you suffered an injury in your left foot Achilles tendon and a toe on three separate occasions. So having found as much success as you have, despite being faced with so much adversity how did you overcome all these obstacles that have been placed in front of you and how did you learn to apply that to future injuries
1: um honestly just like with like cross training i feel like i've been like blessed that like my body is like good at getting fit fast so like when i'm cross training and just like retaining my fitness i could just like go back and like when i come back like it's not as hard to just like get back to where I was. So Mm -hmm. on my junior year and like senior years, mostly like sickness. So that was like, honestly, even more tough. And I found out I had like a zinc deficiency and just like when I got on like more zinc, like I, I was feeling better and just doing better. So.
0: Yeah, that's good that you're able to kind of narrow it down, figure out what works for you and what doesn't. But moving ahead, we did mention that you're now at Northern Arizona. So right off the bat, could you tell me a little bit about your first semester in Flagstaff and how that went as a freshman?
1: Yeah, it went really well. I mean, um, like this season is going to be like definitely one to remember. And like I didn't even race. So Um, I don't know, just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, just like the training itself has been a lot different than high school. Like it's obviously way harder. But also, like, you have a lot more time for training and a lot more time to recover. And, um, I'm definitely training harder than I was in high school, but, like, up until this point, I've been, like, a lot more healthy, which is, um, not really surprising, honestly, just because of how much, like, we focus on, like, recovery and college and, um, how much more time we have. But, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, just, like, this season, like, um we weren't like doing the best when it came time around for nutty comb and uh uh-huh. just like the way we turned that around like i don't know like that's something i'm gonna be like telling my kids and like i didn't even race so like it is definitely really special
0: absolutely that's kind of where my next question was headed you really could not have asked for a better time mm. to come into a program than when you did at NAU. Right away the expectation is you're always going to be competing for championships and in a year that many believe this team wouldn't win a championship you guys still found a way to do so. So from your expect uh, perspective having seen this program win five titles before you arrived what was it like kind of being the center piece of this sixth championship team and growing mm. uh that dynasty forward?
1: Um yeah so it's um, it's a lot of pressure obviously and coming into the program like um, I wanted to make sure that like I wasn't like negatively affecting the team culture and just like being like very careful of that and just kind of like living and learning rather than just like trying to like project my like personality onto the team Um. Mm-hmm. but yeah just like with a team that small and like how close of a win it was, like, um, like you never, you'll never get like a tie, like probably ever again or like, in a very long time, and uh, like it just goes to show like that everyone on the team like plays their part, so like it felt really special. To yeah. You know? it was... Oh
0: yeah. yeah, that was my first time being out for a national championship meet. It was pretty special. Just the atmosphere surrounding Stillwater was really awesome I mean when the fans kind of erupted when Oklahoma State took the lead and then how they kind of oh like a kind of a sorrow a pity clap when NAU took back over It, it was just a crazy atmosphere that day and it had to be special being a part of that team even though you weren't racing yeah Uh, And you mentioned this earlier, you did not get the opportunity to race as a part of this team this year. However, you did get to run at your team's home opener, kind of unattached in the George Kite Classic and the men's open race. And you put together a pretty strong effort. And this race is, of course, hosted at Buffalo Park, which in many accounts, and I agree with the people who say this, is one of the nicest places, uh, places in the country to run. So with so many great places to run in Flagstaff, where would you say is one of your favorite places to get some mileage in? Um,
1: uh, this probably wouldn't be the best for like every day, but um, my favorite trail is the waterline trail in Flagstaff. It's like basically you're just like running along the mountains. Like there's a trail that just like goes up there and the trees have all been like burnt down from the forest fire. So you can just see like everything from like probably like 50 miles out.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. When I took a trip down to Flagstaff this summer, uh, I decided to run every time at Buffalo Park. Didn't run really oh, yeah. my way around there, but um, looking forward to a future summer where I do train down there with some of the, my friends. But to quickly piggyback off that question, what would be your favorite workout from your time in uh, in Flagstaff as a part of NAU's team? And would that happen to come at that same park or maybe a different trail?
1: Um, Actually, it would be like... Uh, so we, the whole team basically traveled to Oklahoma for like the, uh, the cowboy jamboree. And that was my first time going down a sea level from Mm -hmm. like the first month and a half, basically of training up at altitude. So that workout for me, like, uh, I think it was, it was like a 10 by 1k, like a pretty simple workout. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> um, but now I just like felt so good, and like just like the atmosphere like being on the course as well. um, I think it was the day before the race, so
0: oh, that's nice, it must have been a nice atmosphere, especially considering of how uh competitive that cowboy Jamboree was, and then coming down from sea level for the first time had to be a great feeling, yeah, <laughs> especially after more than a month of really acclimating to that altitude up in flagstaff uh about how much. More altitude, how how much above sea level is Flagstaff to where you live in Connecticut?
1: Um, Connecticut is basically zero. So 7,000 okay. more feet.
0: Gotcha. Yes, about what it is here in Texas. So I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, Looking ahead though, based on what you have accomplished in high school, the program you're a part of right now, combined with some of the best coaching in the nation, I would say you're headed towards a pretty uh, achieving some pretty great things at the NCAA level, but you're just a freshman. So you have a lot of time to figure that out. But currently what would you say are your biggest schools in the sport, whether that's in college after college, whatever they might be, what are they and why?
1: Um, um, I want to uh, honestly I haven't thought about like personal goals in a while because like our our team like is so focused on just like um, like we're definitely more like um process oriented so like as long as you as long as we just like focus on like just putting our head down and grinding then like the goals will come with that but just to win more national championships i guess with the team
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, winning an after championship's ultimate goal for every student-athlete in the NCAA. So being able to do that with a program like NAU's got to be a very unique experience. And as I do every show, I want to discuss a few other things outside the sport of running. It's always nice to take a step back and see the bigger picture. And that's what we're going to do to end today's show with a few questions that take our tr- uh, show truly outside the oval. And my first topic is one I love bringing up. It's something I certainly would not uh could not live without if you could no longer run what sport would you want to compete in at the college level and why
1: um I think probably basketball to be honest um I'm not like I'm not very good at it like I'm not the best but I'm not like terrible but I'm not that good at it but yeah I don't know I, I just think it'd be fun and um just a fun thing to play I guess but
0: Yeah. So that's actually pretty interesting that that was your answer, because my very last question, I'll move it towards the front here. My last question I had for you today is way off a track of everything else. And uh, I saw this skit on Twitter this morning when I woke up and I actually added it to today's questions because I saw it. You and Colin Solomon were really uh, you kind of helped establish as an incoming freshman class as one of the best uh in recent memory i'd say right right up there with north carolina's uh recruiting class just 2 years ago as talented as you two are at running on the cross country course and on the oval theoretically speaking if the two of you took to the basketball court and played a game of 1v1 who do you think would win and why um
1: man uh i don't know i think i'd say it'd be like pretty even i i've never played colin in like basketball cuz um like around the time the nationals the uh the guys who like weren't going like we were like kind of playing some like pickup games and uh Mm -hmm. I mean I'd say like we were pretty we were all like pretty even and like I I would think that like Colin would be like around the same so Mm
0: -hmm. I got you yeah I was uh, I thought it was a funny question to ask and since you mentioned basketball perfect time to ask it uh, moving forward, though, in basketball, we did talk about this a little bit before. You're a Celtics fan. How how do you think the Celtics are doing this year?
1: Um, really good, but the last couple of games are not very good. Like, I think we're on a mm-hmm. three or four game lose streak, which is like pretty bad. 'cause oh, wow. we're, Like, I think we were like twenty and five at like one point. So.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that the Celtics are one of the top contenders this year for our NBA championship, which would be very exciting. It's been a while since they've been on top. Jason Tatum, too, he's had a great season. Yeah. Uh, along with the Celtics, you mentioned that you're also a Bills fan. So what expectations do you have for them with only three games left in the regular season? And uh, do you expect this team to be playing for a Super Bowl?
1: Um, yeah, I hope so. Honestly, I just I basically just got into football like this year. and like. Okay it's a pretty good time to be like a Bills fan. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like hopefully they do good and like the AFC, but.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're new to uh, football, I, this isn't the best show i I can possibly recommend but it is about the buffalo bills if you happen to have the spn plus uh go watch the four falls of buffalo um that's a really good 30 for 30 about the super bowl teams that went to buffalo uh went to super the bills teams that went to the super bowl in the 80s or 90s they unfortunately lost four straight and they've never won a super bowl since but if you haven't watched that i highly recommend you go in to do do so um be a good way to kind of learn more about the bills. But my last question today with Christmas, just a few days away, the temperatures flying up and the winter weather coming in being from Connecticut, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with the awful cold weather, the winter weather. What are some of your favorite things to do over winter break? And have you, uh, and what have you done in your time away from the team back home in Connecticut so far? Um,
1: Yeah. Like, I don't know when it's like snowing, I like to go sledding and uh, mm-hmm. mostly just like, slow down and just like hang out with friends and family and stuff but yeah like i don't know I, i've just been like hanging out with friends and like my girlfriend and my brother a lot so
0: yeah that's awesome it's a great way to kind of decompress <clears throat> let the stressors from the cross country and track season kind of relieve and move forward with your life as you usually know it but aiden It's been terrific having you on the show today. Thanks for taking some time over this Christmas break to uh, talk.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you all for joining us today. I will catch you all next time on Outside the Oval. Merry Christmas.